Welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod, and this is one that um, never would have imagined we'd be recording, but uh, here we are on the night of Kobe Bryant's passing in Southern California, perishing in a helicopter crash with eight others on Sunday morning, including his daughter, Gianna uh, Gigi. Uh, on their way to a travel basketball game up in uh, north of L.A. And with me here is Ramona Shelburne of ESPN, who spent her day on the scene, what looked like a, a hillside where the copter crashed. Uh, Ramona, let's just start here, trying to get your arms around all that has happened today and, and the loss of not just Kobe, but his daughter and uh, seven other lives. How do you put this day into context in this event? Man, you know, I was uh, I was home with my son this morning, and we were just playing around on a Sunday morning. You know, just running around outside, and he was picking some grass and picking some oranges and trying to eat it and eating dirt, and <laughs> that was like my morning. And all of a sudden, uh, my friend who I was with got an alert on her Apple iPhone. You know, the iWatch. And she says to me, um, Ramona, did Kobe Bryant die? And I was like, what? What are you talking about? And she goes, my friend just, my friend's sending me an alert. And I, I went on for a second and, uh, I saw the TMZ story and like, I, I, I dropped the phone. I was like shaking, right? Cause you and I know him. I mean, <laughs> that dude was never going to die. Right. Like, I mean, just the way he lived, man, like he, you know, this is a guy who would you know, ride his motorcycle through L.A. traffic and has been flying in that helicopter for years. I mean, most people you would say, hey, you know, maybe the Mamba Sports Academy out in Thousand Oaks is kind of a drive for you down in southern Orange County. And Kobe doesn't look at things like that. Kobe's like, that's fine. I'll just take a helicopter. Like he he didn't believe in any distances or any limitations like he just kind of put his head down and went through them and and i think that's the way he lived you know like i i and and so like it's just unfathomable to me that he died so like as this reporter and and person and who knew him really well i mean we got pretty close towards the end of his career and then even after he even after he retired i almost feel like we got closer after he retired we'd always text each other he would always tell me about his kids like when i was pregnant he would check on me like he used to like send texts like how you doing mama you know how's the baby coming right and i remember being in he said you know i want you to let me know when you go into labor right and i and i texted him and he like a few hours later he he was like how you doing and i was at a really long difficult labor and he he texted and he just said you know this is why this is why women are superheroes and you have the privilege of giving birth not everybody does and you know women are 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 magic you know and you know if if this was you know men that we civilization would be lost you know, you're just go have a baby. It'll be the most amazing thing in the world. And it was just amazing, you know, Adrian, to, to, to get to know somebody like Kobe, you know, you get to know them as players, you get to know them as people. But I think later on, uh, I got to know him more as a friend and, you know, there's a part of me, I I know grief wise, we're all going to process this on our own time, but we, we have to be in work mode right now, right? Like you spent all day reporting. I spent all day reporting, going to the scene. And it's just this incredible hole, not just 
in our hearts right now, but it just feels like the world tilted on its axis. You know, the world stopped. Yeah, I mean, it was. I mean, you you were at the at the scene of it and as close to it, oh. um, and, and saw. Uh, I, I guess you, you you're pretty close to uh, you know the yeah. wreckage and 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 the crash site and 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 you think about this the impact of it from yep. from that scene through Southern California through this country and through uh, this world. There there are very one thing about Kobe was. You know, and part of it was because he played for the Lakers for 20 years and he played for the most glamorous, maybe the most glamorous pro sports franchise, certainly in North America in the four major sports here, the Lakers, the Yankees, I guess the Cowboys, but, but the Lakers have won so much. Their fans are everywhere. Kobe fans are exponential to that. And it was, um, certainly not surprising to see the outpouring, but I, I think especially among Young players, his peers, players on other sports, you know, everybody wanted in the sports world, everybody wanted to get a piece of Kobe. Everybody wanted yeah. to spend time with him to understand uh, yeah. what made him tick. And I always found with him, he knew our business better than oh, most yeah. of the people in our business. He understood the competitive nature of it. He understood yeah. where he fit into it. He understood how yep. stories and narratives were, were shaped and formed. And I, I remember telling him he was one of the last guys on social media, last guys uh-huh. to Twitter. And he wasn't on Twitter. <laughs> and I remember I would always say to him, I would always, I would always uh, <laughs> uh, try to discourage him from going on Twitter because I knew once he got on there oh, and yeah. his voice I wanted him like, no, keep talking to me. Keep talking That's here. That's right. The, like I said, That's you're right. about, I used to say to him, you're about, you're not a small talk guy on Twitter. You're a big proclamation guy. And it worked. For, I think it, I don't, I don't know if it worked, but he stayed off of it for a while. And then once he went on, uh, then he, he liked the medium that and Instagram oh, yeah, and everything else. But, but he, <laughs> he was in our business, uh, and in this world, you know, there are people who do not want to draw I mean, every single day with Kobe, I, I can't imagine, think about how many years in, in your career of, of a stretch and of my career where you didn't write the name Kobe Bryant somewhere, you didn't say it somewhere, you weren't making calls about Kobe, you weren't talking to somebody about Kobe, and he was, he always had something to say, he always had a point of view, he was always willing to take like the brunt of of saying something that he knew would rile people up. And a lot of guys don't want that. They don't want all the stuff that comes with it. And he wanted it every single day. I've never been around anybody uh, like him in, in, in that respect. Well, you know, he was the author of his own story. I mean, you and I wrote about him, but he was the author, okay? Like, he he knew everything he wanted to say to us. He knew how it would play. He thought about it. Like, and he was a really good storyteller. You know what I mean? He was, he knew he was a living legend. And he was incredible about writing his own legend. He was incredible about creating his own legend. And I, I think what's, you know, I remember one of the first times, you know, early in my career, like I covered him, I knew him, he knew me, et cetera, but we weren't like on the level where he, you know, we, we had a off the, 
out of the media relationship, right? Like we didn't know each other like that. I couldn't get in touch with him. I didn't have his number or anything. And then later on, um, oh, oh, let's say it was second half of his career or something. He one time, we, we started to talk a little bit more. We didn't know each other as, you know, source and reporter sometimes. And he actually sent me a text. It was a story you broke. I remember you broke that Mike Brown uh, was going to coach the Lakers. And uh, you were at Yahoo at the time. And he just and he sent me an email going like, you're slipping. Why do I have to read my Lakers news on Yahoo? <laughs> no, I, 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 I remember getting something similar. It's funny you say that because I went yeah. through a bunch of emails. Um, yeah. Sometimes it would email. Sometimes we would text. And I found I was just did a search on one of my email addresses and all these emails yep. came up and he reminded me of different points. And sometimes it would be an email. And I remember – that Mike Brown one, and it was something like, how did you know? I don't know if it was, how did you know this before I did, that this was done or uh-huh. something, something along those lines. But yeah. he he took, um, it, we'll get more into that, but I want to, like, listen, at the core of this today, Ramona, is is the loss of not just Kobe oh. and um, the others um, from, from different walks of life, all built around, you know, a travel hoop team. Uh, his daughter, who, who obviously he affectionately was affectionately known as Gigi, and you were around them more in L.A. You'd see her out in public more. She'd be at games with them. That image of that visual of, of Kobe and Gigi at that Nets game, I guess it was maybe a couple months ago, Ramona, mm-hmm. where Kobe yeah. was, it became kind of an Internet, and I guess it became a meme, or you know, he was uh-huh. explaining something to her, it seemed, on the court, and it was a great father-daughter uh, moment there. But he was certainly, to say the least, engaged in his kids' lives and, and certainly in her life and her basketball career. I mean, I know he'd take her to meet great women's players, you know, yep. go to UConn. I know she aspired to play for Gino at UConn uh, someday. she was verbally committed. Yeah, yeah. In <laughs> um, about the fifth grade, yeah. I think she was, right? I mean, yep. like, and she's obviously an outsta- she was an outstanding young player and, and by all accounts an outstanding young lady uh wh- what had you seen with kobe and, and 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 fatherhood here in recent years man he loved being a dad it was like he 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 approached fatherhood like he was always a really good dad even when he was playing right i, I know i you know i used to hear anecdotally um stories of him like coming home from games really late at night and then getting up and taking his daughters to school in the morning you know he would just he would just he wanted to be there. He wanted to be present. He loved to, he loved being a dad. He would have had 10 more kids, you know, if he could. Right. Um, I think he was so proud of Gigi. He would always tell me about her. He was like, she's, she's got that mentality, you know, like he, he knew she had it, whatever that it factor is. And that was the second part of his life here. He was, he was done as a player and he was so focused on his legacy and he's, and what he could give to the world. Um, but also what he could give to kids. I mean, if you look at what he's created since he retired, children's books, a podcast that's geared towards children, a whole universe that he created, right, mm-hmm. of characters and stories and told in a way that children could hear them. He was always thinking about how do children process stories and, and morals. And um, it's like in a way he saw himself as like Walt Disney. I mean, he was he was creating this whole universe and he would have kept doing it. And I remember at one point saying to him, like, hey, why don't you just enjoy retirement for a minute? You know, like, just be retired, relax, slow down. 
and now knowing what's happened, I'm, I'm glad he didn't, right? I'm glad he just kept going and, and putting out all the stuff that was in his head. I mean, he's probably, when you go through his offices at Kobe Inc. in Newport, I, I bet he's got, you know, 30 books that we haven't published yet, already written. <laughs> you know, just, yeah, yeah, just I, knowing him the way you do. Yeah. And, and I remember after his, the night of his last oh, yeah. game, and you had written that piece where you'd spent all the time with him at the end. I remember the night of his last game at, at Staples, he was talking about going in. He was going in the office that next day to start the yeah. work. Like the next day, he went in to day. start that part of his life, that that next chapter of his life. I mean, he he was up real early. Like he got home. And I remember hitting him because I'd I'd spent a ton of time with him at the end, and we were gonna do the mic drop story. It was gonna be like the end, and everybody else has their say, and I'm gonna write the last one. And it was a challenge I took on for myself that whole year. But I I felt like I I just. I really wanted to do it. You know, I wanted to take that on because I felt like I really knew him and what, what made him him. And, um, I think he, he, he liked that. He liked that, that, um, that passion that I had for the challenge. And so I would, you know, the whole time I was writing, I'd, I'd say, Hey, what kind of music do you listen to when you're running on the beach, the sand dunes and you're working out and doing your one of your blackout workouts? And he would send me like, all these different weird songs like a trans-siberian orchestra or he sent me the the jason song you know from halloween right? like this crazy kobe music but then he would send me like sia right and the, like he was he was into the creative process he wanted to know my creative process he would just call up directors and want to know that he would he would do all of it and i remember at the end there um you know I had this whole story, I literally had a whole story written. It was like 6,000 words. We'd gone through five, seven drafts. I don't know. And uh, he goes and has this last game. And all I'm going to do is like, you know, top it off at the end. Right. But he didn't just have a last game, man. He scored 60 damn points and he took 50 shots. And it was like, I, I mean, I couldn't believe he was going to go out with this terrible Lakers team on a, on a, you know, this is this wasn't Kobe Bryant at the end here. This wasn't him dominating game. You know what, averaging thirteen points a game and losing all the time by twenty. Like mm. he was going to go out like that. And I realized, oh my god, I have to tear up this story. This whole thing I've spent months on. I have to tear it up and redo the whole thing. And I and I wrote him that night, and I was like, I can't believe what you just you just did. Like I'm going to have to redo this. And he wrote back like, ha 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 ha. <laughs> right? And I said, what are your plans today? You know, can we talk? And he goes, um, I'm up at five. I'm going to go to church and then I'm going to go, I'm going to work out and then I'm going to go to the office. And he had already thought about it. Like this wasn't, you know, off the top of his head. This was, he had, he'd planned that out for a long time. He thought about what the next day would be like. And I just remember thinking to myself, like, this is a guy he, I know we talked to Michael a lot about post-retirement, post-basketball, and didn't want to have that sense of existential dread that a lot of athletes have when it's all over, when the music stops, like, that wasn't going to be the end of his story. And so when I saw, you know, when I, when I would see him and Gigi at games, I used to laugh because like, he, he always used to joke. He'd say, I'm never coming back to Staples Center again. I'm ne- what do you think? I'm, I'm in Orange County. Why am I going to come to Staples again? Like, as soon as I retire, that's it. And you know who got him to Staples Center? Gigi. Mm-hmm, yep. <laughs> he came to Sparks games. He came to, he came to Laker games. He didn't come because he wanted to be Kobe at a Laker game. He came because his daughter wanted to watch Trey Young. <laughs> yeah. He, he, um, you know, it's funny. You, you talk about the, those late nights, early mornings, and I, I remember the 60-point game he had at Madison Square Garden And gosh, I'm trying to remember the year this was, 2000, 
I guess it must have been 2009, 2010, somewhere in there. He had a run, and he had 60-plus of the garden. And remember, it was a late night by the time he left. Um, it was a, a wild scene. I remember I had maybe been on the road with them, and I had come home, and I wasn't going to go to the game. He had been on a tear, and I, I, I sort of needed to be home. And I remember he must have had like 30-something and a half. And I remember I got in my car and drove into the city and made it there for like the fourth quarter and then talked to him after. But the next morning, this was like quintessential Kobe the next morning, Tim Grover, his longtime trainer, was in the gym with him at like 5.30, um, 5, 5.30 in the morning. And that kind of stuff was legendary with him. And w- whenever you would meet him, or if you'd, it, it would always be kind of funky times um, yep. and out-of-the-way places. And yep. his schedule was always built around the work. And, and that's what – and I think for people, part of the romance, I think, of Kobe for people and – fandom is he represents I think to a lot of sports fans basketball fans not not just the winning and five championships does a lot and, and all that but yeah. a, a time when people felt like everyone didn't want to be friends that guys yeah. wanted to compete played his whole career in LA now that doesn't mean listen he asked for a trade and he was almost out of there. Mm-hmm. So there was some yeah. like, and he could have been out of there if traded to the right, to the right team. I remember reporting a few years. It was while he was still playing that he had, there was a trade to Detroit that had been agreed on between the Lakers and Pistons. It was, I know it was a couple first round picks. It was like, it was like Chauncey Rip, some combination of yeah. Chauncey Rip, Ben Wallace. They, they weren't all going, but there were a couple of the better ones. It was that uh-huh. Pistons era and, Kobe went to see Dr. Buss and he was like, I'm not, I, I don't want to play in Detroit. I don't want to do this. And then they started to sort of work it out. And, you know, in the end he played, you know, the whole career there. But I just think he represents the people um, just what they want sports to be, which yep. is a fierce competition. And he personified that. Uh, there was nobody quite like him in his respect. He was really hard to play with. He was hard to uh-huh. coach. I mean, he always had this really comp- – I always found this – never mind Shaq and all those years, but even like Pau Gasol, yeah. who is such a thoughtful yeah. and very motivated and very talented, but the complete opposite of Kobe in terms of how he carries himself and how yep. he – and, you know, I remember just the way that those two would try to figure – because I think Kobe had tremendous respect for Pau as a player, as a person – and there were times where he thought, I'm being too hard on him, and he'll go into a shell on me. And there's times where, you know, I think Powell had to just live through a lot of Kobe's uh, aggression. And, and But they were, you know, they would in the end be very close and, and spend uh, a lot of time. And, and both had sort of these European sensibilities about him. I mean, Kobe grew up uh-huh. in Italy. And so there were almost all of his relationships, Ramona, right, were really complex. Yeah. They were really complex. Yeah. Like everybody, you know, I called a lot of people who knew him really well um, today, you know, because we all kind of we all have the same feeling like he was really hard on people, but you didn't hold that against him. right? <laughs> I don't know what it was like, you know, you everybody would always um, there's a lot of cursing, right? Gotham Chopper did this, uh, did the documentary with him, right? Muse. And uh, he would say uh, he'd go to everybody and he would say, what are give me three words that you think about with Kobe? 
you know, Steve Nash and Pau Gasol, Phil Jackson, Magic, whatever. And that documentary never saw the light of day because Kobe didn't like it and he wanted to tell it to make it himself. Hmm. And so they stopped the first, you know, there's a, there's a whole cut documentary with everybody else talking about Kobe. And then he just decides, nope, I'm going to tell my own story. Story. And my favorite, uh, my favorite person with the three words was Steve Nash. This is, I've heard this story from Kobe. He said, Steve Nash's first three words about Kobe were, mother. Yeah. <laughs> and he told, uh, Gotham told Kobe about it. He said, you know what Nash said? And Kobe loved that. Oh, yeah. Kobe loved yeah. it. Yeah, he loved that Steve Nash said that about him. And also just, because that's, he kind of made the word into a good thing like that's kind of part of the brand and right, like um, he would always say that about himself and and i was like nah he's not but he, he you know because i know he had a heart i knew he cared i knew he was a a person like if he if he cared about you he respected you he was you know there's going to be so many stories in the next few days of everyone that he would reach out to when they were going through a difficult time right like so many athletes any anybody broke their leg or had an Achilles or had a, a tough injury, he, Kobe was on the phone. Anybody going through um, just a, a tough time in their life, his his heart would go out to them. He would reach out. I mean, just the other day, I was um, earlier in the day, I got a call from Candace Parker, and she said, you know, when she was trying to win her first championship, Kobe went to you know called her and, and reached out to her and, and gave her inspiration. You know, I mean, he's texting me while I'm in labor. <laughs> trying to inspire me right like he's just he had that heart about him but he also had this quality of like i'm gonna do whatever it freaking takes to win and when you say he's what people like about sports he's what people want from their sports heroes yep the kobe you're describing there was a lot of that was post sexual assault trial i mean it just was and he was and and like that is part of the that is part of his story that is part of his history. That is part of uh, uh-huh. who he was. And, you know, it's funny. I remember afterward when people would say he had rehabilitated his image. <laughs> and I always felt, I never felt Kobe was that different. What Kobe had done was win two more championships. And we right. live in a society where, you know, people sometimes mistake, you know, virtue for victory. Like, People would always make the comparisons with Tiger Woods in the aftermath of his fall. And yeah. the circumstances were different. But I always thought the biggest difference in terms of their public image between how Kobe and Tiger uh-huh. came back from it was Tiger didn't win again. And when you win, it cleanses you. That is the society we live in. That is our business. Yeah. Our profession is guilty of that. And so I, I do think that the Kobe you're describing is very much after he faced the possibility of going to prison for the rest for the rest of his life. And you know, we talked about it as much as he was able to talk about it, right? So that was that was one of the things that you have to wrestle with when you write about Kobe and and think very deeply on um especially as a woman. And you know, it was a this was 2003 was the sexual assault um charge and then the trial continued on for a while. And it's, you know, there was a different era, right? It was, it was long before Me Too and long before these these types of cases, like, would end somebody's career, right? This would, you know, um, it's a different culture now. But but um, he, he settled out of court. There was a civil case that he settled out of court, and part of that settlement was a nondisclosure agreement. 
and you know, you want to talk to him, you wanted to, to get him to talk about that in any story you did, especially a career retrospective, right? But he couldn't. He literally, that was part of the, the, the settlement of the civil case. Um, he talked about how it affected him. And, you know, I was always aware that, you know, yeah, it affected him tremendously because he, he, he almost lost everything, right? He, he felt like he was losing his family. He felt like he was, you know, he told me how Vanessa kicked him out of the house and threw all his clothes in the street. And, you know, he felt like he was losing his family and his, you know, all the sponsors dropped him. You know, I, I know the Lakers stood by him and he continued to play. I remember he's still taking the plane back and forth to Colorado for the trial and then playing in playoff games at night. You remember that, mm-hmm. that era? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, he was, uh, but you always have to remember there was, there was another person involved in this and the woman yeah, yes, involved there was. in this. Yep. And, and we have never heard from her because like I said, there was a non-disclosure agreement and, uh, you have to always have that in the back of your mind. This wasn't, Kobe's not a victim here, right? Um, this was, this was a, a really sad situation. He issued a statement expressing incredible remorse, um, and regret about what happened and the way it affected the, the young woman here. And it's, it's one of those things you just kind of have to say, this is what happened. And it's part of his story. And it's, um, it's something that changed two lives forever. Um, and the way that he moved past it. And, and I think that was, you know, he used to be this sort of like young, uh, wide eyed kind of kid when he first came into the league. I, I think it changed him into, you know, this is what he describes it in his own words as like, this is the beginning of the black mamba, right? Where you embrace the darkness within and you embrace, um, you look at the worst thing and, and, and push past it. And there's a certain mythologizing of it. Like you, you know, you said, um, you know, winning cleanses things, but I think there's also, he mythologized this moment, um, in the way it affected him in a way that I, I think, you know, when you look back on it, it's, um, you know, it is, it's just part of the story, I guess is the right way to put it. It's, it's, it's part of it. And you have to always, you have to acknowledge that. But I think afterwards and the, the Kobe that I'm describing, this was, this was grown man Kobe, but it was also old man Kobe. Okay. Right. Like he was, his body started breaking down on him. And I, and I think the Achilles was really the beginning of the end. Like when that happened, I think he realized his basketball days were numbered and he came back. He, he then very quickly had a knee injury. I remember that very distinctly because I was on the road with him. We were going to do a interview the next day. And, uh, I was flying back from Memphis. He was, I think they were flying back from Memphis and he had had this great game back and forth with Tony Allen. He loved battling with Tony Allen. Right. And, uh, and I, I hit him and I go, Hey, are you still, are you still uh, good for 10 AM or whatever time it was? And he didn't write back right away. And later he goes, yeah, I'm actually at the doctor right now. I, I think I played the whole second half on a broken kneecap. And I was like, what? And, uh, he did, obviously he was out for another long time. And then there was the shoulder injury. And that's, that's when I think he realized like, okay, basketball's over. Like there, it's only a matter of time. He was going to rehab. He was going to come back. He was going to challenge himself, but he started plotting out the next part of his life. And like, we got to see him age in this league and it wasn't always graceful. Remember that last year, those first, yeah. for the first few games, it was really ugly. And I think he knew it was time and the team was terrible and he was just like, okay, that's enough. And he had already started moving on to the next phase of his life, which, you know, none of us knew the extent to which he had moved on already, right? Like behind the scenes, how much work he had been doing at the office writing and storytelling and setting up the next stage. Yeah. And he, I, I remember sitting down with him it was in 2010 and I had pulled it up uh, today. And it was when he, he and I had talked at length about Michael Jackson and his relationship, yeah. the, having gotten to know Michael Jackson. But he said something about, 
his mortality in the league. And uh, I, I have it up in front of me here, and I'm trying to pull it up. And we, but essentially his point was, and this was 2010, this was before the injury, so they had just won two straight championships. This was November, and so they were trying for a three-peat, which obviously they didn't get. And I started a question, I know you don't see the end coming. And he corrected me and said, but it's a lot closer. I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. And I asked him essentially, will you stay so long as that they'll have to rip the jersey off your back? And he said to me, just thinking about some of the guys that I take advantage of now, taking advantage of me later, that doesn't Uh sit too well with me. And it was his way of saying, like, I don't want to be that guy. And, you know, we can debate whether he became that. I mean, he certainly was diminished at the end. And and I think playing the 20 seasons was important to him. I mean, I remember... Ramona, I saw him play, I thought it was his first preseason game, but somebody told me they may have had one in Hawaii, but I was working in Fresno in 1995, and it was, I think it was his first preseason game. Somebody might say to me, no, wait, they played one in Hawaii, but it was either the first or second, and I remember it was at the Selland Arena in Fresno, and I'll never forget, yeah, I was (laughs) sitting right there courtside, Del Harris was the coach, I'll never forget Del Harris yelling at him. Stop dribbling the effing ball. You're not in high school anymore. And I remember him <laughs> screaming that, stop dribbling. You're not in high school anymore. And, and that was the beginning. And to think of how long the length he played and the minutes and mileage on that body, you know, it's not in, in the age of load management, it, oh, it would, it would be very different. And he, he wasn't wired to uh, hear or think he wanted to play every night. He was like Jordan in that way. Yeah. That he thought there was somebody somewhere, uh, and LeBron, and give LeBron all the credit. LeBron is of that mindset. LeBron wants to play every night, play a lot of minutes. Uh, he doesn't care if it's February in Sacramento or it's the, you know, June against the Warriors in the mm-hmm. finals. Those guys were all cut from that. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and, and that's how they approached it. I think that's part of, you know, the, the infamous story of Michael Jordan walking through the op- opposing team's locker room, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of part of Kobe too. He was going to play when you couldn't believe he kept playing. He was going to, like, in he's played a million minutes and he's still checking back into the game and he's still going to rip your heart out with the dagger fall away from the corner, right? Like, that was part of the mystique. That was part of how he intimidated his opponents because I think, part, you know, what he was trying to say was, I can do this longer than any of you. I can still find that dagger just when just when you think you got me beat, I'm going to come up and throw that dagger at you, right? I mean, it was just part of the mystique. And, you know, like, I go back and go thinking of all the memories, right? So what's the what's the biggest one? You know, it's him shooting the free throw after tearing his Achilles, and, and you wouldn't know it on his face, right? He must have been in an incredible pain. He must have known how serious this was, and he steps to the line and takes the two free throws. I mean, that was Kobe, but... There's the Matt Barnes play where he throws the ball in his yep. face and he doesn't even flinch. I mean, that that's that was the mystique. And like what you said about guys that I take advantage of now, you know, I don't want to – I wouldn't want somebody to do that to me. Like it was this pride that he had, which is what made the last season kind of hard for me to watch 
Um, not because he was so bad or anything. It was like the team was bad. He was bad. Like it was the only thing it was like covering the, that last year was like following around the Pope. You know, he had a press conference in every city and he was trying to, you know, say goodbye to all the fans. And he, he always played well, all the road Which games. is what he said he never wanted, yeah. but he, exactly. he did want it because that was, he wasn't playing for yeah. a title anymore. And it was, uh, yeah. the, the, the one I remember, I remember him in defeat. He was always more dramatic and memorable in defeat. Yeah. And I remember being oh, in yeah. Boston after cool. game six in 2000 and 2008, Eight. right? When they lost yeah. to the Celtics. Oh, yeah. And they got drilled by 30, right? It was like a 30 point, yep. 25 it wasn't point even close, yeah. blowout. And I remember being um, around their locker room and he would not come out. He, he was sitting in a dark, he had the light off. And I think he was in uh-huh. the training room or one of the rooms off of the locker room in the dark just sitting there seething and yep. and was the last one to come out to go to his press conference. I remember following him down the hall and there was Scalabrini already on like his fifth bear uh, oh, yeah. outside the Celtic locker room, already half in the bag celebrating. And I remember Scal saying something to Kobe. It was like, hey, great. So it wasn't, it was Scal, yeah. right? And he was half. Yeah. And, and Kobe just looking at him and sort of biting his lip and going, Congratulations. Congratulations. And he kept walking to the press conference and obviously they came back and not only won the next season, but won, you know, back to back and, and, yeah. and got his five. And I think here's something Ultramona and you, and I think you yeah. know this very well. It bothered Kobe that the greatest of all time conversation had gone from Michael and Kobe and it was no longer Michael and Kobe. It had become Michael and LeBron and Kobe yep. had been sort of pushed out of that. And I kind of always felt that LeBron going to the Lakers was an opportunity for Kobe to get back in that conversation if, if LeBron didn't win championships in LA, because you're only going to be judged with the Lakers by winning titles. No one, they're not raising a conference championship banner or, you know, or conference finalists. They don't care. And that Kobe's five championships was always his way to say, I've got five, Michael's got six, and, you know, LeBron has that three. That I, I, I do think that in Kobe's mind, I'm not saying Kobe was rooting against the Lakers winning, but I do think that he always felt those five titles, that it, this conversation would come back around to him again if LeBron wasn't winning in L.A. because you and I both know that was really important to him. It was, I, you know, I, I was there in um – in 2009 when he, when they beat the Orlando magic. Right. Um, and, uh, they, uh, they beat the magic and people said, you know, what does this mean to you? (laughs) Right. And you're, you're waiting for him to wax poetic. You're waiting for him to say, you know, say something grand. Okay. And it's like, all it was is like, he, he only cared about it the same as Shaq, right? At that moment, right? He had, he, 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 he was very aware of his place in the game and where he stacked up alongside Michael, where he stacked up alongside LeBron. Um, when LeBron came here, Kobe sent him a text welcoming him to LA. And the whole first year, it was like, there wasn't much interaction between them. No, you know, there was, it was like Kobe was down in orange County. Yeah. You know, everybody, I'm sure Nike would have loved if Kobe came to LeBron's first game or whatever that is, they could have had a a moment, but it was LeBron 
was playing for the Lakers, but Los Angeles was still Kobe's town. And I think it, I think LeBron felt it too, to be honest. I think LeBron could feel the love that, that Kobe fans had for Kobe. And like, remember there, when we first got here, like Laker fans were not into it. <laughs> you know, like they were happy LeBron came, but, yeah. but, but don't make them choose LeBron over Kobe. And it was really nice to see some of that thaw this year. Um, I wouldn't say it was like a bad, relationship between them i think it was just not there it's and, not there they, they were they were competitors yeah. and they were rivals right. and they each wanted what the other yeah lebron wanted what kobe had which was mvps and championships and he yeah. got them and i do think you know for kobe he couldn't win the argument on like statistically with an analytics yep. and efficiency he couldn't win those arguments against lebron because lebron surpasses him in almost every you know, category that's built around whether it's team play, whether again, efficiency, but what Kobe had, it is a lot easier for people to sort of just five championships to three championships. And, you know, listen, if we, it is never that simple, but that was always sort of his kind of his wild card in this. And he, and that never changed. And so listen, I, I, you've got a lot left to do tonight still Ramona. And I, I appreciate you taking the time out. I'm glad we got to talk about this. I know we'll be talking about Kobe and his legacy and, and what he has meant to the basketball world and beyond. And uh, we'll, we'll be talking plenty more about this. But, but yeah, thank you. You're Ramona. welcome. Thanks for having me on. And, and you know, it was funny today when this all went down, like you're kind of numb as a person. You have to do your job. Um, but I was thinking about it. I was like, you know, I feel like you and I were some of the reporters he let in. And we got to know him and people all around the world need to know him, you know, in the way that we knew him and and to share the types of stories that we we had of him. He he didn't have like a ton of friends in the NBA. Karan Butler was his friend, Tracy McGrady, Dwayne Wade. But. And and he always joked like I was he like he wasn't a good friend. Remember that he had that. What was that saying? You said well, and I, uh, friends hang sometimes, championships hang forever. And, and I would say too, Ramona, like you said, <laughs> yeah. he didn't have a lot of ton of friends in the NBA. My sense yeah. in being around him was I never felt he was close to very many people at all. That he had a lot of people. Yeah. he really considered uh, friends. I think he kept ultimately kept his distance. I think there were very few people on this planet who really, really uh, knew him. He showed you what he wanted you to see like yeah. anybody else we cover but yeah. but it is um i will never i think both you and i would agree yeah. we will never cover uh we will no. never know somebody else again uh <laughs> like kobe bean brian he was uh an That's original right. and and there won't be another uh like him and and his loss and the, certainly the loss of his daughter and 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 the others um on that helicopter on sunday morning it it, it leaves a a big hole in our in our world today so Uh, Thanks, Ramona. I appreciate it as always. Thanks, Adrian.